The following message, entitled The Lord's Supper, Part 16 of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 26th of June, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, now you can click the stop button. It's just like the regular square. I had experiences with the Indiana police long before John came on <laughs> staff. When I was in high school, two friends of mine, Rick and Ken, who was known as Boss Man, and uh, th the three of us decided we would toilet paper a girl's yard in our, in our class. And so uh, all three of us went to her house on, I believe it was South 6th Street, and we were busily toilet papering the front yard, wrapping toilet paper around all the trees. It was really a nice job we had done. And uh, Ken and I, somehow we were, Ken and I were over here occupied, and all of a sudden we see a police car, and it's pulling into the driveway, and we see the head of Rick in the back seat. And uh, so <laughs> we said, we can't abandon our friend. We could have easily um, escaped, but we, we didn't. And so uh, the police officer gets out, and he was a well-known officer in town at, at the time. His name was uh, Punch McGregor. Punch was his nickname. Did you ever meet him, John? He was actually a nice guy, but he acted really mean toward us that night. He... Uh, we, we actually, my friend and I, we made the punching sound when we would say his name. We talked about him often, so we would say, uh, Punch K McGregor. Um, so Punch K McGregor uh, gets out of the car with our friend Rick. He comes over, we, we come, he takes us up to the front porch, rings the doorbell, knocks on the door, and uh, the mom of the girl that we were toilet papering the yard comes to the front door, sees all the toilet paper, and he says, these boys were toilet papering your front yard. And he said, um, do you want them to clean them up, clean it up? Or do you want to press charges? And she said, oh, if they clean it up, I won't press charges. And so Punch looks at us and says, well, boys, do you want to clean it up? Or do you want to go to jail? <laughs> we'll clean it up, we'll clean it up, we'll clean it up. And I went straight after that. <laughs> Had another experience with Punch later. When I was in college, it was uh, a big weekend. It wasn't homecoming. I think it was another big weekend. And, and uh, there was a lot of partying going on. And I was partying all day Saturday. And I was really um, drunk on Saturday night. And, and I was not Obviously, I was not a Christian at this time. I, was, I went into the student union, the hub, with my friends, and we were sitting in this dark room. There was a band playing, and there was projected on all kinds of amoebas on the screen. This was the 70s. And uh, they were, the band was playing Dear Mr. Fantasy by Traffic. And I was getting sick to my stomach, and I thought I was going to lose it. So I go up the stairs, and there's a whole line of students coming in. There's no way I'm going to be able to get through the door. And there's Punch McGregor, Punch K McGregor, standing there monitoring the kids coming in. And he sees me, and I think, I'm 
I'm done. I'm cooked. He's going he's gonna to arrest me. I am so gone. And Punch looks at me and he says, look out, make way. Everybody, look, let this guy out of here before he loses it. And I, he let me go out. He didn't arrest me. And I was grateful to Punch McGregor from that day on. He had mercy on me. He could have really given me a hard time. So I always appreciated him. So anyway, I've had nothing but great experiences with our police. And especially John. <laughs> Love John. He, is, he has the best stories if you ever get to hang out with him. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17 through 34. We're going to have communion after the message today. So uh, you might be just thinking about that. Every September, we have our church picnic. And uh, can you imagine at the church picnic if some of us were pushing and shoving to get to the front of the line and then we loaded up our plates with so much food that we ran out of food and lots of people who came to the picnic got nothing, had to go hungry. Well, that was a little bit what it was like in the church at Corinth when they would come together for their regular common meals, as they're called sometimes, or their love feasts, some were going ahead and eating, and some would go hungry. And I'll explain that in a minute. Then they would take the Lord's Supper, or communion, which comes from the word koinonia, or fellowship, or sharing. They would take the Lord's Supper together as if everything was just fine. And one, this was one more thing the Apostle Paul had to adjust them on. So, we don't do that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But 1 Corinthians 11 has some important truths for us to contemplate and think about. And the, the big idea that I want to talk about that this passage really talks about is that the Lord's Supper is a time for us to reflect on what Jesus did for us, and our relationship with fellow believers. So it's a time for us to reflect on what Jesus has done for us, and it's a time for us to think about our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters. So first of all, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You have done for us, Jesus which we sang about this morning. Help us to be ever just filled with gratefulness to You, Lord, for saving us. And help us, Lord, every time we have the Lord's Supper to remember what You've done for us. And just speak to us through Your Word this morning, Lord. Cause us, as a result of this Word, to love and honor You and to love and honor and respect one another even more, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. So first of all, Paul says communion should be an expression of love and respect and unity for one another. And so he says, beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's interesting, in this, in this passage he uses the phrase come together four different times. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are, that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Well, in the early church, the Lord's Supper was often part of a large meal they would have together, a church meal. As I said, that sometimes they're called the common meal or love feast, as some call it. And like I said, it would be sort of like us getting together for the 4th of July picnic. A great big feast they would have together in the Lord's name. Enjoying fellowship and friendship. And then as part of that feast, taking communion together. The bread and the wine at the time. But the first problem, Paul says, is that in this so-called love feast, there were divisions and factions. And so he says... In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he had mentioned this earlier in the book. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He had mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, well, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And so he was saying that divisions in the church grieve the Lord. He says you're coming together You're coming together and yet you have these divisions. You're coming together, yet you're grieving God. You're grieving the Lord when you come together. The night before Jesus died, He said, this is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The night before Jesus died, you think, when you're ready to die, you're probably going to share the most important thing that's on your heart. Jesus shares the night before He dies, this is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Divisions grieve the Lord. When we're divided, when we're not loving one another as believers in the church, that grieves the Lord. And so Paul says when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now when we come together, when we gather together in love and unity, it's for the better. Jesus blesses us. He's pleased and He's glorified when He sees us loving one another. But if we have strife and division and allow it to go on, that dishonors God. Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying when you come together, when you're going to worship the Lord, if, you, if somebody comes to your mind that has something against you, do whatever you can to take care of that and resolve that as quickly as possible. Now, it might not always be possible to do it right the same morning, but do it as quickly as you can. Don't let unreconciled differences go on. Because it's, it's grieving to the Lord. And, and, I mean, this is serious. Who, who, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but it means that God takes it very seriously. And so Paul says, what they were calling the Lord's Supper wasn't really that at all because of the way they were taking it. So he says, when you come together, it's, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So not only do you have divisions among you, not only are you having strife, but you're not respecting one another. When you come together, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. One goes ahead with his own meal. Now, what this means is the Corinthians, the, the Corinthian Christians came from a culture where pagans would commonly have wild, crazy banquets or feasts given in honor of a pagan god. And they would be getting drunk and they would just be, you know, all kind of gluttony and everything. So you could see how coming out of that culture when they're coming together for their Christian feast, you know, that they needed some instructions. They, you could see how some of them would get drunk. And also, in those days, at common meals, it was expected that the, quote, upper class would receive better and more food than the lower class. And so, they were apparently carrying that custom over into the church. And the Christians weren't really sharing with one another. So at the love feast, the rich would bring more food. Rich people would come in loaded with food. And the poor wouldn't have much and nobody's sharing their food. And so the poor in the church were going hungry, being neglected. The rich were going ahead and stuffing themselves and getting drunk. And Paul says, this is bad. And sometimes as I read through the whole book of Corinthians, all the problems that they have in the church, I could think, man, we're doing okay <laughs> with the challenges that we have. But anyway, we can still do these kinds of things. We can still be at odds with one another. We can still neglect one another. We can still think of ourselves first, put ourselves first and and neglect others in the church. We can do the same kind of things. We may not do it in the same way they did. Verse 21, Paul says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And Paul says this was humiliating to the poor in the church. So he says, what? 
Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So the point is, Paul is saying that communion should be an expression of love and respect for one another and unity together. It's an expression that we, we all love one another. We don't think of ourselves as better than others. We don't think of some as less than us. And so the question is, do we have a mutual love and care and respect for each other? Is there, is there anyone you look down on? Is there anyone I think I'm better than? If that's the case, that's wrong. We want to defer to others. We want to put others first. We want to serve others. We want to consider others as better than ourselves, as it says in Philippians 2. We want to look to the interests of others. That's, that's our desire as pastors for the church. And, and, and for the most part, we just commend you. This is not a reproof. This is not a rebuke because you do that so much. But we just always want to be just asking ourselves, is there anyone that I look down on? Is there anyone that I think I'm better than? Because that is not the way we should think. So first of all, communion is a, an expression of respect and love and honoring toward one another. Secondly, it is a remembrance and a proclamation and an expectation. It has to do with what Jesus did. It's, it's remembering what He did. It's proclaiming what He did. And it's looking forward to His return. And so Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. This is not, communion is not a man-made idea. Paul says, I received this from the Lord. And then it says, this is really interesting, first of all it says, when He had given thanks. Jesus Himself, at the first communion, when He instituted this, Jesus gave thanks. And we're to imitate Jesus. So communion is a time for us to give thanks and to remember what He did for us. It's a time to give thanks to God for sending His Son to die in our place as our substitute. And Jesus said, the bread represented My body which is for you. Jesus gave His body, His human life, for us. This is My body which is for you. Again, this is the opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. They were thinking of themselves. Jesus gave Himself for us. He was thinking of others. He was putting others first. And then Jesus said, do this in remembrance of Me. And how could the Corinthians possibly remember that Jesus had laid down His life for them? And then how could they be looking down on others and selfishly hogging the food and going first so that others had nothing to eat? Paul says, 
Remember how Jesus did this. In the same way, verse 25, in the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So it's a remembrance of Jesus instituting a new covenant in His blood. Well, what is the the new covenant? What is the new arrangement between God and those who believe in Jesus? Well, it's in Jeremiah 31 is one place where it's mentioned. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. There it is. Jesus said, I'm fulfilling what God prophesied and promised in Jeremiah 31. Verse 33 says, For this is the covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, or my people, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What, what an incredible covenant Jesus made. God writes His laws on our hearts. We don't try to live by an external law written on stones, but God Himself speaks to us by His Holy Spirit who dwells in us and He writes His law on our hearts and He calls to mind His Word that He has given us. And then He says, I will be their God and they shall be My people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me. We know God. He's not a distant person that we don't know. We can, each and every one of us, from least to greatest, can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So we, we remember this every time we celebrate communion that Jesus has made this new covenant with us, He's our God. He lives within us. He dwells within us. He writes His law in our hearts. We can know Him personally. And He has forgiven our sins and iniquities. So, Paul says, in light of this, treat one another accordingly. When you share the the bread and the juice, when you share the, the cup and the bread, You're saying Jesus' death has transformed us. Jesus' death has transformed you. Jesus' death has transformed me. It's It's like the Scripture that Alan read this morning. We've thrown off our beggar's cloaks. We're new creations now in Christ Jesus. So we remember that. We gratefully remember all Jesus has done for us. And if there's a brother or sister you're offended toward, remember, this is a brother or sister Jesus died for. 
Jesus shed his blood for that sister. He forgave my sins. He forgave her sins. So it's a remembrance. We're remembering these things. We're remembering the past. But we're also proclaiming something right now. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So it's now we're proclaiming and we're looking forward to the future. So we remember the past, all that Jesus did in the past for us. We proclaim this now, His death, and we look forward until He comes. So we proclaim Jesus' death to our own hearts and to one another. It's only by the blood of Jesus that our sins are washed away and we're accepted by God. We need, we need to hear this often. We need to hear the Gospel all the time. It's not just once a year. Not just once in our lives. We need to hear this all the time. That Jesus died for us and shed His blood so that we can be accepted by God because we have such a tendency to slip back into our own thinking of my own worth, my own worthiness, my own work that I've done, my own deeds make me acceptable to God. No! No! We're accepted only because of what Jesus did on the cross. Salvation is a gift. We can never deserve it. We can never earn it. We always just must remember that we receive salvation as a free gift from Jesus. And we need to proclaim that not only to one another, but to the world and to unbelievers who would come into the church with us. And it's also an expectation and a looking forward to Jesus' coming again. So when we take communion this morning, we're not only remembering what Jesus did in the past, we're not only proclaiming His cross to one another now and reminding ourselves now of what that means, but we're saying someday Jesus is going to come again. We, this, this life is not just now. We have a hope that we're looking forward to. Someday we will see Him face to face. And all of this is going to be worth it. Everything that you're going through, every bit of suffering, every bit that you go through for the Lord, everything that you give up for God, it's going to be worth it. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Isaiah 51.11, And the ransomed of the Lord, ransomed by the blood of Jesus that paid the price, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This world has so much sadness in it. So many hard things. Believers go through sad things and hard things and children and, and sickness. and It's just so many hard things that we go through. But someday, everlasting joy will be on our heads. 
and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And Revelation says Jesus Himself will personally wipe away every tear from our eyes. We have hope. And it's not just a a hope like I hope this happens, but I'm not sure. No, this is a permanent, lasting, sure and certain hope. I know, I know that I'm going to be everlastingly joyful no matter what I go through now. And, 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 and the Bible says that our joy is going to be so great, it's going to make the longest and the worst trials we ever face just seem like light and momentary affliction. We'll say, boy, it seemed heavy at the time, but compared to this, Jesus, compared to seeing your face, that was light. That was light. It was momentary. It was nothing. That's what we're celebrating in communion today. Our everlasting hope. And it's also a time to examine ourselves. And so, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So, this is a little bit of a tricky passage, but it's, Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, it says, whoever therefore. So we have to remember, whenever we see the word therefore, it means, think about what I said before this. In light of everything I've said before this, therefore... Whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So, we have to remember, he's talking about our relationships with our fellow believers. He's talking about not considering others and just eating food and letting others go hungry and disrespecting others. So that's what this is talking about. So he says, whoever eats in an unworthy manner. Well, first of all, Um, We're never worthy to take communion. We're never worthy of anything in God. We in ourselves are never worthy of any of God's blessings. It's by the grace, the sheer grace of God that He gives everything to us. So what, what does this mean? To drink the, the bread or drink the, eat the bread or drink a cup in an unworthy manner. Well, we're going to look at this. Verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So, eating, taking communion in an unworthy manner means taking it without discerning the body, whatever that means. Now, the body here is a reference to the church family. The body of Christ. Not the bread or Christ's physical body. So it's not saying if you take the bread without thinking of it as representing the body of Christ. No, it means without thinking about the church, without discerning the church body. And this, this is what it means. To not discern the body means to lack respect and love for the church family. That's what one com- way one commentator put it. 
to lack respect and love. So if you're taking the bread, drinking the juice without respecting the church body. In other words, if you're doing what the Corinthians are doing, if you're having divisions and strife and you're, and you're looking down on others and you're thinking of yourself first, that's not discerning the body. That's lacking respect and love for the church body. So then Paul says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this doesn't mean examine yourself primarily to see if I've committed sins. It doesn't mean examine yourself to see, well, did I get angry this week? Was I kind to my children? No. It's, it's examining yourself to see what your relationship is like with other believers. Am I discerning the church body? Am I respecting? Am I loving my fellow brothers and sisters? Now, it may have an aspect of, is there a sin I need to confess? But in context, we have to always read Scripture in context. He's talking about examine yourself to say, is there any brother or sister I'm not loving? Anyone I'm not respecting? Anyone I'm looking down on? And then in that case, ask Jesus to forgive you. Stop doing that. Repent. Turn to Jesus about that. This is how serious He takes our relationships in the church. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, the judgment that we can experience if we're not treating one another with love and respect, is not eternal judgment. God is not talking about losing your salvation. It's talking about discipline. God says, I will discipline you. It means that sometimes we experience consequences in our lives if we do this. If we take communion and yet we go on in strife with others. Sometimes, Paul says, some of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now that doesn't mean that if someone is weak or ill, we immediately assume they've sinned. No. We don't do that. We should not think... When, when, when somebody tells me they're sick, I, don't, I never think, well, you must have sinned. I don't think that. It's worth, it's worth it for me if I'm sick and if I'm weak or I'm ill, it's worth it for me to think to maybe examine myself, but I don't assume that of others. But Paul says that God will at times discipline us if we allow strife and division and disrespect for one another in the church. So this makes me fear the Lord. I want to love others. I don't want to be weak and ill, and I don't want to die. At least not prematurely. I know I will sometime. And so God says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So if we examine ourselves in terms of our relationships to others, and we want to take steps to love others, and ask forgiveness, and be kind to one another, and not look down on anyone else, that's the kind of thing that will please the Lord, and that that's a way that God will not have to discipline us. So Paul's conclusion then in verse 33 and 34 is this. So then, my brothers. So when he says, so then, he's concluding. So what am I saying? 
When you come together to eat. And so again, think of the whole context. Everything he's been talking about has to do with the church coming together for their love feasts and for the Lord's Supper. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment or discipline. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So in other words, Paul says, love one another, serve one another, put others first, honor one another. If you're really that hungry, eat at home before you come to the love feast so you can share with others. So, when we have our picnic in September, if you're that hungry, eat at home first. If you feel like you've got to rush ahead of everybody else. <laughs> so anyway, the Lord's Supper that we're going to take right now is, is a time for us to reflect on what Christ did for us in our relationship with fellow believers. So, in the back of the room, there are tables with bread and juice on it. And what we're going to do is go back, get a, get a piece of bread and juice, and come back and we'll take it together then. We do need you so much to help us to apply your word to our lives. Lord, we want to take this bread. We want to remember we want to proclaim Your death. We want to remember Your death. We want to proclaim Your death. And we want to remember that You're going to return again. Jesus, thank You for all You did for us on the cross. Thank You for being broken so that we might be healed. Thank You that You were punished in our place that we might be blessed. We just take this bread in remembrance of that, Lord. And Lord, thank You for this juice that reminds us of the new covenant in Your blood. The new covenant that You would write Your laws on our hearts that You would dwell within us that we would know You. Each one of us, from greatest to least, we'd all know You. And that You will be our God. And that You forgive our sins and iniquities. And we thank You, Lord, for this new covenant that Your blood brought us into as we take this juice. We need You, Lord, to remind us to be thankful to You for all You've done. We need You to help us to love one another as You desire us to love one another. We need You to do everything we heard about in Your Word this morning, Lord. We can't do it in our own strength, but we thank You that You, will, you have promised to give us all we need to obey You, Lord. We thank You You've given us Your Spirit. We thank You You've given us Your Word. We thank You that You give us Your grace. We thank You that You've made us new creations in Christ. We thank You that You call us more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We thank You, Lord, that You will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank You for all Your promises, Lord. And we thank You that You are such a great, wonderful God. We love You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Amen. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Glory to you, Lord. Love you, Lord.